Invest in some tennis shoes, you tin pan Andrews. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast. It's been an incredibly humid week in poor old Limerick. It's been hot and sticky. And the mad thing is with Ireland, it's always humid in Ireland. It's forever humid in Ireland, but you don't you don't notice it when it's cold. When it's cold, humidity is refreshing. But when it's fucking hot, it's inescapable. An inescapable stickiness. There's nothing you can do about it. So I spent the past week being chased by invisible water vapour. Like, we have a culture of shame in Ireland. We tend to punish ourselves when we enjoy anything. And we blame it on the Catholic Church. We blame it on the influence that Catholicism had on Irish culture. But every year when we get our heat wave, I'm more and more convinced that our culture of shame comes from the weather. Because any time we get a heat wave here, we can't we can't enjoy it. You can't enjoy your seven days of dry sunshine because you know it's gonna end in this violent torrent of rain. Like, however intense the heat wave is, that's how intense the rain will be when it ends suddenly and violently. And this means you can't actually enjoy the weather. I can enjoy a nice bit of dry heat when I'm in Spain. I can't enjoy it in Ireland. Not a fucking hope. Because I'm thinking about the rain that's going to come. And I'm also, whenever it's hot in Ireland, it's such a rare, such a rare thing that you end up feeling that you're not enjoying it enough and you can't plan anything because you just don't know when the rain is going to come like when did the rain come on Sunday my poor fucking neighbour was having a barbecue my neighbour had invited everyone he knows over to have a barbecue out his back garden and how was he supposed to know the rain was going to come and if you're planning something like a barbecue and you're an adult and you want to invite a load of other adults to your barbecue, you need minimum seven days to give people enough notice. You can't do that in Ireland. You can't predict with confidence that in seven days' time it'll still be sunny. So everyone called around to his gaff. He had the barbecue going out the back, people enjoying themselves. Then the fucking heavens opened violently. Thunderstorm, big fat cold rain. Everyone has to run back inside. And he's left with a bunch of cold meat that he has to cook in the oven. And I think this is why we have difficulty enjoying things or feeling guilty about enjoying things because we know the punishment is coming. And if we're being really honest, we prefer the rain to the sun. Even though the sun is lovely. Like, I love the sun if I'm in a different country. But I'm not mad about the sun in Ireland because I can't trust it. I don't trust it. I don't trust the sun in Ireland And when we do get sun, I'm sceptical of it. And I can't enjoy it in the moment because I'm like, fuck, the sun is here. Shit, it could be gone tomorrow. I hope I can use my time in the sun effectively. I hope I can enjoy it in the moment. So I sit down on a sun lounger, put on some suntan cream, and then read a book. And then after about five minutes, I start feeling guilty thinking what are you doing lying down in the sun it could be gone in a couple of hours why aren't you washing and drying clothes there's great drying out here 
So then I leave the sun lounger, start washing and drying clothes, hanging up the laundry for the wonderful heat that's there. And then I feel guilty that I'm not sitting down reading a book. And then I say to myself, just give me rain. Just give me fucking rain. At least I know where I stand with rain. It's predictable. I know it's going to disappoint me. Not this sun shit. Fuck off. I'll see you when I'm in Spain. So this week on the podcast, what I'm going to do is answer some of your questions. Because you're always asking me questions and people are frequently asking me to do question answering podcasts. I have a backlog of about fucking 700 questions that I need to answer. So I went through them and I picked a few and I'm going to answer what I can. So Lisa asks, blind boy, what is it about Ireland right now that concerns you most? That's a good one. Corporate landlords. That's something I'm very concerned about. Corporate landlords. I don't think people are taking it as seriously as we should be taking it. I don't think people are as informed as they should be around it. I don't think people understand how shitty things will be when corporate landlords get a proper foothold. And this isn't just happening in Ireland, it's happening the world over. It accelerated rapidly since the COVID pandemic. Basically what's happening globally and big time in Ireland is investment funds and pension funds, which is basically loads of people's money together in one pile. So all these different people, thousands, millions of people put all their money into one pile and then this pile of money is managed by a fund who exist as a company. In Ireland we call them cuckoo funds. But basically what's happening is these giant piles of cash that are being managed as companies are buying loads and loads of property so that they can rent this property out to make a profit for the people who've invested in that fund. They're making it impossible like Buying a house in Ireland is difficult enough, but they're making it really impossible for any person to buy a house because the investment fund just has so much money. So even when a house goes on the market for sale, and even if there's some couple who can afford to buy that house to make a home for themselves, a big giant investment fund worth a couple of billion buys the house because they can outbid the people and then they buy the house so that it can be rented so they're driving up the price of houses which put houses out of the fucking hands of regular people and then forcing everybody into renting and then that pushes the rent up like just this evening on twitter i saw a queue of 150 people in dublin just trying to view a house that's available to rent and if you're thinking So what if I have a corporate landlord? What's the difference between a corporate landlord and just a regular landlord? Well, both situations are fucking shit. But with a corporate landlord... Like, let's just say you're renting a house at the moment. And the washing machine breaks. At the very least, you can ring up your landlord and say, The washing machine is broken. Can you come and fix it? And you're going to have to go through all that bullshit that you go through, but at least you're speaking to your landlord. When it's a corporate landlord, you could be renting a gaff, 
and then you have a phone number that you ring and the phone number that you ring to fix your washing machine is some call center halfway around the world so now trying to complain to your landlord will become as difficult as trying to speak to Ryanair customer service you ever tried to get a refund from Ryanair holy fuck that's difficult so Cuckoo Funds corporate landlords I, I think that needs to be literally illegal that needs to be illegal in Ireland it's not ethical and it's abusive and is the Irish government gonna gonna do that no guess why because the Irish government are creating tax subsidies for these fucking corporate cuckoo funds to become landlords in Ireland not only that the Irish government views these cuckoo funds as the solution to the fucking housing crisis how so if one of these investment funds decides to buy an entire block of apartments in Dublin or in Limerick or Cork so on a, a multi-billion investment fund comes in and buys 40 apartments to rent they can avoid 10% stamp duty tax if they promise to rent those apartments to the government for social housing they passed this in the Dáil in 2021 so instead of the government like building homes building social housing they're putting it all to the private market where these investment funds can profit from Ireland's need for social housing which completely takes the absolute piss out of the taxpayer like I have no problem whatsoever with taxes being used for social housing I want that I don't want homelessness take my fucking money tax me and provide people with homes but the government aren't doing that they're setting up a situation where yes people can access social housing but the government pays the investment fund Dublin rent in order for that to happen so the investment fund is still getting four grand a month profit to lease out social housing how does that happen because the the fucking cuckoo funds lobbied our government into doing this so it's not a compassionate solution that provides homeless people with homes it's a system that looks like that on the surface but is actually so that cuckoo funds and investment funds can profit massively and then it actually worsens the housing crisis because that pushes all the rents up and reduces the housing supply so is that a solution to the housing crisis no what it is is a system that perpetuates the housing crisis and the worse the housing crisis gets and the more expensive rents get then the more profit these investment funds make it's a way to milk misery for profits and does that sound familiar yes it does because it's what the government has done with both direct provision and emergency accommodation direct provision is where asylum seekers who are seeking asylum in ireland are not actually given any compassionate solution but rather kept in a type of prison in perpetuity and then companies who run direct provision centers have an endless supply of profits from taxes so it doesn't solve anything it's not compassionate the system is stitched up where misery is turned into profits for the private market 
Same with emergency accommodation. If a person is living on the streets, are they provided with a home, a place of security to live a meaningful life? No, homeless people are put into hotels in Ireland. Why? Because there's hotels up and down the country who have full occupancy every single night now. This has been happening for over a decade. Families are placed in hotel rooms, living in awful conditions, supposedly as a temporary solution, but actually living there long term. It's infinitely more expensive than building social housing, but it's not about that. It's a system that's set up for hotels to earn money in perpetuity. It's turning people's misery into something that could be milked for profit. And in my personal opinion, this is why I think there's so many hotels being built in Dublin that they don't need. Because in Ireland, hotels are recession-proof. If there's no tourists to fill the hotels, it doesn't matter. Because the hotels can fill themselves up with homeless people. And each night that bill is paid for by the government. Instead of them just simply building and providing social housing. So this emerging trend of cuckoo funds and investment funds buying property in Ireland so that they can become landlords and renting that property to the government as social housing. That's like a much larger, way more fucked up version of what we've been seeing the past 10 years. Because now it's not just how do we exploit the most marginalised and vulnerable in society. It's how do we exploit the most marginalised and vulnerable in society everyone else too who doesn't own a home and needs to rent and this isn't just Ireland this is global this is happening in every country since the pandemic all of these investment funds are stepping up and buying property to rent and here's an example of how widespread this is becoming did you ever see that film The Big Short it's a very good film about the fella who predicted the recession we'll say of 2008 He's played by Christian Bale. It's an excellent film. But he's a real dude. His name is Michael Burry or Michael Bury. But he's viewed as a like a genius in the investment world. He's the guy who predicted the fucking recession. He saw it when nobody else could. If you look at his investment portfolio at the moment, since 2021, 60% of his investment fund is in these things called REITs. Real estate investment trusts. And that's what I'm talking about here. That's what these things are. Real estate investment trusts. It's a giant pile of money. A faceless pile of cash. Loads of people together get into one of these trusts. And then they're managed like a company. And they become corporate landlords. And these funds have so much money. That they can buy all the property. They can outbid Everybody, they don't care how much they pay. They will simply buy all of the property because they know they're going to make that money back really quickly through rents and through the Irish government who are saying, please, please come in. Buy all the property. Please do. We won't even charge a tax to give you that extra advantage. Just come in and buy everything, please. And then we, the government, will use tax money to rent social houses from you. And you can charge whatever the fuck you want and rents can go up as high as possible because we're going to keep paying. And then to say it again, how? How is something this ridiculous happening? Because the investment funds lobbied the government. And if you're wondering what is lobbying, 
Lobbying is when a private company approaches politicians and says to the politicians, can you change the rules and regulations of your country? Not to suit the people, but to suit my business. Can you do that? That's what lobbying is. And it's a huge problem in Ireland because what's so special about Ireland? We have one of the lowest corporation taxes in the world. So massive companies come to Ireland supposedly to pay 12% tax. Most of them end up paying less than 1% tax. Ireland is where the largest corporations in the world come to launder money. And it's why the largest corporations in the world have their corporate headquarters in Dublin and in Cork and in Limerick and in Galway. And it's a double-edged sword for us as Irish people because in Limerick, for instance, we have Uber. Uber is in Limerick, but Uber is also employing a lot of people in a poor city. So it's, it's, a, it's tough to see that it's benefiting a small amount of people in my own city, but also by not paying tax, widening the gap between which rich and poor the world over. And speaking of Uber, I'll give you an example of corporate lobbying and how it occurs in Ireland. Again, this is fact. As ridiculous as this sounds, this is fucking fact. So Fine Gael, who are one of the largest political parties in Ireland, they're currently in power. Fine Gael's 20... Part of Fine Gael's 2016 election manifesto was written by Uber. Uber, the fucking... The company, their headquarters are based in Limerick. But yeah, Uber, this big American company, wrote part of Fine Gael's election manifesto. And Fine Gael were too stupid to fucking change the words. But that's sickening. That's sickening that a a political party which is supposed to represent the people is allowing its manifesto to be written by some fucking corporate taxi company. And we know this because of investigative journalism from Arthur Beasley and Simon Carswell of the Irish Times. They went and found this out. Otherwise we wouldn't know about it. Which is why investigative journalism is so essential to a functioning democracy. Because if you don't have investigative journalists looking into this shit, we'd never know that Fine Gael are letting their fucking election manifesto be written by Uber. Like the main parties in power in Ireland are turning into the, the political wings of corporations, which isn't very democratic if you ask me. Now if you're a new listener to this podcast, or if you're hearing it involuntarily because someone's playing it in your workplace or whatever, and you're thinking to yourself, Who's this fucking agent with a plastic bag in his head talking about politics and talking about housing? What the fuck does he know? He's out of his depth now. Stick to speaking about art. When people say that to me, I point out that a central focus of my work for the past decade has been the question, why can't my generation have access to home ownership and why are rents so high? That's a question that I've been attempting to unravel and that I've been tracing for a long time and I'm not an expert and I'm not an academic in this area but in 2017 I dedicated like a year and a half of my life with BBC working with a team of investigative journalists into the global housing system into the corruption of it into where the money is going where the money is coming from I was looking at the roots of what's happening now. And we made a documentary and it was called Blind Boy Undestroys Housing. And it was long listed for the BAFTA. And I'm not bragging about awards or any shit like that. But I'm just saying, if you make a piece of TV and it gets long listed for the BAFTA, 
that's a peer-reviewed industry stamp of approval that denotes rigour. So that doesn't make me an expert, but it does make me informed enough that I can express opinions around the area of housing. But the original question I was asked was, you know, what is it that's bothering me about Ireland at the moment? So that is the, that's the concern, corporate landlords. What does the country look like when most of the property is owned and run by corporations who manage properties? What does the country look like when the housing supply is bought up by these corporations and then you have the government renting social housing from these corporations? What does Ireland look like then? Well, I predict there's going to be a lot more evictions and not just regular landlord evictions. You're being evicted by a corporation who's your landlord, who has a lot of money. What's that going to look like? Well, my fear is that an eviction industry will flourish, that private security companies will start popping up and profiting from evictions. Like the way that you have clampers. You know, there's clamping companies that make loads of money from clamping. That, but violently kicking people out of their gaffs. Like we saw in 2018 in Frederick Street in Dublin, there was a group called Take Back the City. They were a protest group. They occupied a building that was being run by a slum landlord. They were violently evicted. Not by the Gardaí, not by the Irish police, but by another group wearing balaclavas in an unmarked car. Well, the Gardaí stood back. It was a very frightening moment in Ireland to see the Gardaí step back and allow masked men break the law behind them. To me, it looked like the Gardaí openly breaking the law in order to appease a landlord, and it was quite disturbing because it sent a clear message that in Ireland, the rights of landlords and the rights of property are more important than the rights of people. And I was concerned at the time that it didn't set a new precedent or that this wasn't an ongoing problem or part of something larger and systemic. But there was something I saw this weekend that really fucking pissed me off. So the Irish Times, which is the Irish paper of record, ran this piece and the piece was kind of very sympathetic to landlords and it was interviewing landlords in Ireland who are having an awful time and their tenants aren't paying and it's just a nightmare being a landlord. It's so unfair in Ireland for landlords. And I knew by the look of this piece what it was because it's a trend that I've been seeing in US journalism as well. This new phrase has popped up in the past year called mom and pop landlords. And a mom and pop landlord is, it's just a person, I think, who owns underneath six properties. I think that's the phrase. And mom and pop landlord, it's a phrase that's designed to make us feel sympathetic towards landlords. That landlords are just like a mom and pop shop. Small businesses, just people trying to feed their families. Because the word landlord is a horrible word. The word landlord denotes aristocracy and oppression. So mom and pop landlord is this new term that's arrived in the past year to make landlords appear a bit softer, for us to sympathise with them, to portray landlords as victims. Now I personally, I just have a gut feeling. I don't have evidence for this, this is a gut feeling. I reckon the phrase mom and pop landlord was thought up by one of these investment funds because it started to appear in American media like I said over the pandemic now I see it being used in Irish media 
Even our own housing minister used it last month, I think, in the doll. But I'd wager, based on a gut feeling, that mom and pop landlord was thought up by a think tank that was funded by these investment funds, because that's what they do. They also lobby journalists, or not even lobby journalists, they can pay for fucking articles to be written. Mom and pop landlord does two things. For the citizen, for you and me, it makes us more sympathetic towards the landlord. It makes us feel as if the land... Oh man, it's so tough out there for landlords. Jesus, I never thought of landlords as just this person trying to get by. Wow. So for us, it does that. Then what does it do to landlords? Well, to an actual small landlord who has one property or whatever, to them, it communicates that this industry is impossible. Get out now. You're fucked. Look at the newspapers. Mom and pop landlords are fucked. Their tenants are terrible. This is awful. It's a terrible industry to be in. Sell. Sell your house. You don't want to be a landlord. So the small landlord sells. To who? The fucking investment fund because they're the only ones who can afford the houses. Now I'm not saying this in defence of any fucking landlord. But I'm just saying the phrase mom and pop landlord from every angle it benefits the investment funds. And that's why I think they thought it up. It makes us think of landlords as poor, cuddly, fluffy victims. And it makes landlords want to sell their property to investment funds. But anyway, the Irish Times ran an article at the weekend that had this mom and pop landlord theme. Poor old landlords in Ireland. Their tenants are awful. Oh, it's a terrible time to be a landlord in Ireland. No one supports you. And they ran this piece with interviews with landlords. But in the middle of it, there was this incredibly disturbing fucking paragraph. And I'll read it out for you. The couple inherited the house after the parent died. The couple decided to rent it. Things went fine for a few months until the rent was not being paid. The tenant told the landlord, F off, take it to the RTB. Footnote, the RTB is the Residential Tenancies Board. They're the body that mediate disputes between tenants and landlords. So the article continues. The landlord went to the local guards to seek advice, only to be told, take it to the RTB, not our jurisdiction. But outside the Garda station, the Garda gave the landlord a number to ring on a strictly confidential, I never gave you this number basis. The contact told him on the phone that he specialised in solving such problems for a fee. The contact turned out to be a guy who went to the property and requested payment of rent in arrears. On being told to F off, the tenant found himself on his back on the front lawn and within 30 minutes, the lot had fled. The happy landlord then spruced up the house. So that was up on the Irish Times, that bit in that article, for I think about 8 hours and then it was suddenly deleted by the Irish Times without any explanation as to why they deleted it. They just said this article has been edited. Now what they've described there is a very fucked up crime. In this fluff piece about mom and pop landlords, where we're supposed to feel sympathy for the poor old landlord, they tried to recount to us this funny anecdote about this poor landlord. This poor landlord and the tenant wasn't paying and there was nothing he could do about it. Not even the police could help him. So then a member of the police gave the landlord the number of an illegal evictor who went and assaulted the tenant and kicked him out of the fucking gaff. The guardie 
The police said, we, we're not touching this, but here's the number of someone who will, and they'll do it illegally. And then the Irish Times just deleted it without offering an explanation as to why. Someone needs to do investigative journalism on that. If that story is fucking true, if the journalist spoke to a fucking landlord, then the Irish police are now engaged in a conspiracy. Like, put it this way, imagine your neighbour is playing music really loudly or something. So you go to the guards and you say, here guards, my neighbour's playing loud music, it's really disturbing me, they won't stop. And then the guards say, there's nothing we can do about it, but here's the phone number of someone who'll kick their head in if you like. Like, that's what happened here. An Irish policeman gave a landlord the number of a fucking thug who quote-unquote put the tenant on his back in the front lawn within 30 minutes. So are the guards now colluding with people who do illegal evictions? Like, can someone do investigative journalism on that, please? Surely the Irish Times can go back to the person they fucking interviewed. Why did that bit not become the article? Why did that bit not become a new fucking investigation? Maybe it is, maybe it is, and we need to give it time. But the other thing too, why couldn't the landlord go to the RTB? Why couldn't the landlord go to the body that mediates disputes between landlords and tenants? Because that's what they're there for. What is the landlord frightened of? If the landlord is legit and genuinely has a gripe with the tenant and the tenant isn't paying rent, as they say, take it to the RTB and let them sort it. If everything's above the law, if you're behaving within the law, respecting the tenant's rights, why did you need someone to come in and physically assault the tenant? The whole thing is fucking tone deaf. But I really hope some journalist or somebody investigates that specific incident because if a fucking guard gave the landlord the number of someone who would do the brutality that the guard couldn't, then someone needs to be held to account there. And worse, was that just one guard or is this something that a lot of guards are doing? And what's it going to look like when everyone's landlord is a corporation? And what can you do? Stay informed. Stay informed about this. Don't vote for people who support this shit. Find out whether your politicians support this shit. Find out what they're doing about it. Listen to people like Dr. Rory Hearn, who I've had on this podcast twice, who's a social policy expert, who is an expert in this area and dedicates all of his time to exposing this shit. He's screaming and roaring about it. And also consider joining a community action tenants union. In Ireland, it's called CATU, C-A-T-U. You might have a branch that's near you. You could start up a CATU branch if there isn't one. Visit CATUIreland.org. And what is it? It's a community action tenants union. You join a union of not only tenants, but also people who have mortgages. What CATU does is it tries to protect people from illegal evictions or having their rights violated. So if your landlord or the bank or whoever calls these heavies to come to your house to forcibly evict you, every member of your local CATU also shows up to stop them. The physical presence of numbers and also camera phones to expose any wrongdoings. And don't forget, this shit is our history. Your great-grandparents were doing this. Standing up to landlords, standing up to illegal evictions. Irish people have been doing that for hundreds of years. Geraldine asks, 
Why are there so many snails in medieval European art? Now here we go. Here's a question I'm academically qualified to answer. So snails are very present in European medieval illuminated manuscripts. Especially from about 1100 to 1300. You see these getting turned into memes nowadays. You'll have someone share a, a medieval image and all of a sudden there's a lot of people fighting giant snails and it looks out of place and strange. Illuminated manuscripts were what were produced in monasteries. Think like the Book of Kells, but not the Book of Kells. What was happening in France or Italy or Germany around the same time? Because Irish illuminated manuscripts are quite unique as we retained design elements of our pre-Christian culture. So Irish illuminated manuscripts are considered some of the best because they're just unique and different. But on the continent, they also had illuminated manuscripts, which were fantastic, but didn't have the uniqueness of the Irish design. But what they did have was a fuckload of snails. And a lot of these drawings of snails would happen in the margins of these illuminated manuscripts. These manuscripts were usually like the Gospels. You'd have monks dedicating their lives to recreating the Gospels. You'd have hundreds of monks in a scriptorium, all painting and drawing all day. But they used to use the margins of the pages to write their thoughts down or to have little jokes and to draw loads and loads of snails. And a common sight is like a medieval knight in full armour with his sword out and he's battling a giant snail and you look at it thinking what the fuck is that about why is the snail putting up such a fight this looks ridiculous is this supposed to be humorous well there was this art historian in the 1960s called Lillian Randall and she wrote an essay called the snail and gothic gothic marginal warfare and she actually went and studied this and developed some theories because she noticed I'm looking at all these illuminated manuscripts from the 1200s and the 1300s. What the fuck are all these snails doing inside here? So she she reckons that the snails represent a group of people called the Lombards. The Lombards were a Germanic people who had been beaten by King Charlemagne in France and were kind of exiled. They would have been marginalised in society. So the Lombards became moneylenders. And because they were moneylenders, a bit like the landlords I was speaking about earlier, because all these Lombards became moneylenders, people fucking hated them because they owed them debt. And snails at the time, to be called a snail was an insult because snails were seen as cowardly. They were slow and they would retreat their head into their fucking shell. And like the Lombards, they had no home. They're continually moving around with their homes on their backs. And also the thing with snails is their power creeps up on you. Their power, they accumulate like a debt. Like I have this problem at the moment. I'm trying to grow San Marzano tomatoes in my fucking greenhouse and I'm being inundated with snails. I see one snail and I go, it's just one snail, don't worry about it. Then I go to bed and wake up the next morning and 20 of the cunts have been eating my fucking tomatoes. You can never underestimate a snail. You look at one you think it's moving slow. You don't worry about it. You turn your fucking back and now there's 20 of them destroying your crops. Snails operate in a way that is quite similar to 
debt. So Lillian Randall reckons that's what they represented in medieval manuscripts. They were moneylenders. They were the Lombard people who everyone owed fucking money to. So the monks, when they're having a bit of crack in the margins, would portray heroic knights slaying these snails and fighting them as it expressed their frustrations and gave them a small little feeling of power. Not too unlike, you know, comparing the debt collector to the landlord. In Ireland, around the time of the penal laws, folk tales emerged of these Irish superheroes and highwaymen who would rob landlords. We created cartoons within our culture to regain symbolic power against landlords. Also, and this is just my opinion about why I think snails would have been present in illuminated manuscripts. Um, so these monks who would be in the monastery, in the scriptorium, working on illuminated manuscripts, and the work was considered unnatural in that it was separated from nature. But because of this, something that you notice in medieval illuminated manuscripts, especially the ones from the continent, whenever they draw animals, the animals always look shit. Now, especially exotic animals like lions or zebras, they look nothing like lions or zebras and they're often funny looking. But even sometimes something like a chicken or a horse or a cow, they look shit as well. And the reason is the monks were stuck inside. They weren't drawing from nature. They were drawing from either their imagination or a book known as a bestiary. And a bestiary was a little it was, it was a large book that contained drawings of all of the animals of the world. So if a 12th century monk wanted to draw a lion, he would open up this bestiary, see a drawing of a lion that's already in there, and copy it. But the problem is, the person who made the bestiary could be talking out of their arse. They may never have seen a lion in their life. But the lion just looks like a large dog with a skull. However... I do reckon monks would have had access to snails. There would have been snails crawling around the monastery. So maybe they drew all these snails because it was the one animal they physically had access to while in the scriptorium. Maybe a little snail would crawl up on the desk and the monk, who's a fucking artist, these are artists, they're human beings, was just like, fucking I'm going to draw this snail. I don't have to open the bestiary to see what a snail looks like. There's one right here. He's on my desk. I'm going to draw him. What else am I going to do? There's no internet. There's no TV. I'm going to draw the snail. So that's why snails are so present in medieval manuscripts. That's why I reckon anyway. The bestiary thing. And then your one Lillian. She has her opinions about deck collectors. It's time for an ocarina pause. Um, I think my voice is a little bit weird this week. Because I have uh, like a little swollen throat. I think I'm grand. Just a small little swollen throat. Probably the humidity. Here's the ocarina pause. You're going to hear an advert for some... I don't know what the fuck you're going to hear an advert for. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That was the Ocarina pause. There was a digitally inserted advert there or something. Um, support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. Does this podcast bring you distraction, entertainment, enjoyment, solace? Well, if you are enjoying this podcast and you listen to it frequently, please consider paying me for making this podcast. This podcast is my full time job. This is how I earn a living. I adore this work. I adore every second of it. I love doing my hot takes. And I also love episodes like this where I get to answer your questions. But usually, I do monologue essays, which require massive amounts of research and time into preparing and writing the episodes. So please consider paying me for that work and becoming a patron if you appreciate it. All I'm looking for is the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. That's it. If you met me in real life, would you say, fuck it, I'd buy him a pint. Well, you can via the Patreon page. But if you can't afford it, if you don't have a job at the moment, whatever the fuck, you can listen for free because the person who can afford it is paying for you to listen for free. It's a lovely model based on kindness and soundness. Everybody gets a podcast. I get to earn a living. Also, by subscribing to the Patreon, it keeps this podcast independent. I'm not beholden to any advertiser. No advertiser comes in here and tells me what to speak about, what not to speak about. They can't change my content or influence it in any way. Any advertiser that you hear during the Ocarina pause is here under my terms and that's it. And I can tell them to fuck off if they're not. And that's why it's important to support the small independent podcast that you enjoy. So that the podcaster can make the podcast that they're passionate about. The reason you're listening to that podcast in the first place and that the independent podcast that you listen to doesn't have to put out content just to up the listenership to keep an advertiser happy because that that's what has TV destroyed it's what has fucking radio destroyed like you ever turn on the radio and just go what the fuck is this what is this why are they talking like that who cares about this shit who the fuck is this for why is this how did it get like this advertising Years and years and years of advertisers making decisions that don't service entertainment or creativity. So support your favourite independent podcasts. And if you want to support mine, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. Let's take another question, you glorious cunts. Have I any gigs I need to plug? What am I doing? I'm in Electric Picnic. Yeah, you know the crack with Electric Picnic. I don't even know what I'm doing there. The same thing I'm always doing there. I'll play it by ear. Play it by ear. I'm not going to be thinking about it now. It's fucking three weeks away or something. Be grand. I'll start thinking about it now. I'll freak myself out about wasps. Those fucking September wasps at Electric Picnic. I'm not looking forward to that. Fuck me. 
every, Electric Picnic is the is a f- the only festival that happens at the start of September, and the wasps are bastards. And every year, you know this. You've been listening to this podcast long enough. I didn't have to deal with it because of two years of the pandemic. The fucking wasps go for the mouth of my plastic bag, especially if I've drank anything sweet. So I have to strictly stick with water. If I cider, man, if I took, if I am at electric picnic, it's September, start of September, and I take one sip out of a can of cider, and that cider sticks to the plastic bag on my lip, forget about it. I'm getting chased by 17 wasps, guaranteed. Every one of them violently interested in my lips, and every year I slap myself into the face trying to kill a fucking wasp at electric picnic. Is it even worth it? Is it even worth doing the fucking gig at this point with the wasp hassle that I get? I need to invent a big blue set of electric lips that you could find in a kebab shop for zapping the wasps that want to fly into my mouth. I spilled a full pint of beer on David O'Doherty once running away from a wasp at electric picnic. Um, who I, I don't have the name of who asked this question. They want me to comment on the death of Irish nightlife. That's an interesting one because I witnessed that one firsthand. I remember the days of the Celtic Tiger. There was there was like three massive nightclubs in Limerick. Nightclubs were a huge thing in the mid to late 2000s in Ireland. Like every town had a huge fucking nightclub. And people would go to the night. We used to go to the nightclub at 6 o'clock. Seriously. Young people used to go out at 6 o'clock and go into town and have pints and buy pints and then go into the nightclub at like 10. Pre-drinking wasn't even a thing. I mean, shit was just cheaper, I suppose. Rent wasn't expensive. No, Rent wasn't a thing that people even spoke about. Rent was just like a given. It was just a thing that was there. Drink. Drink was still kind of expensive-ish. No, you'd always have your one pint that was... Was it two euro? I think Bavaria was the two euro pint. The late Celtic Tiger as well. Guaranteed. On a Friday and Saturday night, some drinks company was doing a promo, so there was free drink. College didn't cost as much money. Like, I went to college on a means-tested grant right I got a means tested grant and I think it literally college literally cost me like I think it was about 400 quid a year materials fee and that was it people used to have jobs like just normal jobs just working in a fucking shoe shop or a petrol station two three nights a week and that was enough to be able to go to the nightclub on a Friday and a Saturday maybe a Monday if you wanted to that was another fucking thing Limerick in the late 2000s, before the recession, there was big nightclubs open six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, and you could go to the nightclub on a Monday and it was fucking full. And it was amazing, except the only thing that was incredibly weird about it was that the music that was popular at the time was like R&B. You'd go to the fucking nightclub in the late 2000s and they're only playing R&B. Like, it was, it was weird to play, like, dance tracks. So what you'd be hearing would be Pharrell, Timbaland, 
50 cent R&B and hip hop. But then the strange thing with that is people still had to dance. But then you had all these like Irish lads from Tipperary and boot cut jeans and Man United jerseys breastfeeding pints and they're bumping and grinding to the Neptunes. Countrymen, harlers, bumping and grinding. Bump it, doing sexy, sexy hip-hop dances. Because that's all you could do with, with nursing a pint with their long pants. So that was incredibly strange. And then the recession happened and everyone went to Australia. Everyone. The recession happened and like that, boom. All the nightclubs were empty. And then they weren't open seven nights a week. They were open one night a week. And then they were struggling. And then the nightclubs closed and there was only one nightclub left. And it was depressing. It was dark. It was very dark. And I was... I was deeply entwined in this because... When Irish night nightlife died... Truly died... Was when Horse Outside came out as a song. Because Horse Outside came out in 2010... But I remember having that song made in like late 2008 or a version of it at least, maybe having the beat because I remember going into a nightclub in Limerick, Trinity Rooms in like late 2008 or 2009 and I had Horse Outside on a CD because I'd probably just been mixing it that day at home and I wasn't finished with the mix and I brought it into the nightclub because I would have known the DJ so I would have just walked up quietly to the DJ who would have been my buddy and said to him, here, you'd never snake that on there so I can hear what it sounds like over the system. And he put it on and no one would have really even known the Rubber Bandits, to be honest. But he put that song on and I remember hearing it over the sound system and going, fuck it, yeah, I've nailed that. That sounds right. It sounds as loud as the Timberland song that was just played before it. And also, I remember looking at the crowd and everyone just going, what the fuck was that? And that was about late 2008, maybe 2009. And then a year later, 2010, everything was fucking empty. And we had to do the Horse Outside tour, which was a tour of every single awful nightclub up and down Ireland. And it was just going to these empty, sad nightclubs. Because all the young people had fucking left. Like, here's the mad thing about fucking 2010. With the level of... 300,000 young people emigrated in 2010. So it was a bad time to have a song that was big. Like put it this way, when Horse Outside came out, that was a really, really big song. Like that was all over the newspapers for like three weeks. And the best we could do was almost sell out the Olympia. Like if we were that age now and we brought out Horse Outside now and it was that popular now we'd literally sell out the three arena. Not a bother, three arena. But in 2010, we could barely sell the Olympia. And that was a song that was so big, it was on the news, like. So that's how little money people had in 2010 and how many young people had left the country. And that's when I first witnessed the Irish nightlife scene taking a real hit, a real dive. And the first thing I'd start to notice was as we got more and more into that tour, going to the nightclubs in towns up and down Ireland, the more we got into the tour, the more the managers of the venues would say, 
can you hold off going on stage for another hour? And we're like, what are you talking about? It's, we're supposed to go on stage at 10 o'clock. And then the nightclub owner would say, there's nobody here. They're not going to get here till 12. They're all drinking at home. And it would get later and later and later. Until eventually, by about mid-2010, whoever was fucking left in the country, they were only drinking at home and then arriving to the club at half 12 or 1 to get the ride. Because there was no Tinder, there was nothing like that. People still had to go to nightclubs to meet each other. And that there started the culture of not going to the pub, not going to the nightclub and placing the emphasis on pre-drinking as opposed to going to the club. I mean, I don't even know if nightclubs are a thing anymore. Like, I'm fucking old now, so what would I know? But I don't even think nightclubs are that popular anymore. And I tell you one thing mad I remember from that era. So when, in 2010, when we used to be doing these gigs in these nightclubs that were fucking empty. Recently, a lot of songs came on my Spotify. Like, songs from, we'll say, 2010 just came on randomly. Like, LMFAO and Rihanna and they come onto my headphones and I hadn't heard them I hadn't heard these songs since that time and when they came on my headphones I'm like fuck it this sounds different I don't remember this song sounding like this why does this song sound different and it was a Rihanna song and then I realised I was used to hearing 2010 Rihanna in an empty nightclub with a big echo around it that was the only context I had for hearing that music. Doing a gig in Mullingar, doing a gig in Thurles, doing a gig in Leitrim, arriving to the local nightclub, which would have been fucking hopping two years previously. We'd get to the nightclub and there's no one there. And then the manager is saying to us, you're going to have to wait till 12 o'clock to go on stage because no one's coming to this nightclub until 12 or 1. So we'd be there sitting backstage in this completely empty nightclub but the DJ is still playing Rihanna, LMFAO, Calvin Harris and just this loud booming sound of that music playing to nobody and that's what I remember hearing so when I heard those songs in my earphones it sounded different deeply, deeply depressing period of my life I fucking hated hated those gigs because I never understood it We'd go up on stage then at one and the audience, the thing was is because we were gigging fucking nightclubs and they weren't our own, we couldn't do our own gigs with tickets because no one would have bought it because no one had money. So you had to just gig the nightclubs because people were showing up anyway. But people hated the fact that you were in their nightclub gigging. So we'd get up. We were only allowed to do horse outside. They didn't want to hear any other songs. And then they'd throw bottles at us and we'd leave and go back to Limerick. But yeah, I witnessed the decline of the Irish nightclub completely witnessed it there's a dark nostalgic ramble for you there I managed to answer three questions one about housing one about medieval snails and one about the decline of Irish nightclubs alright that's not too bad considering most podcasts I managed to answer one fucking question dog bless I'll see you next week Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.